The theme for the afternoon talk is liberation and enlightenment. Small subject. <laughs> a few years ago, a, an English uh, publisher, Random Random House, asked me to put a book together, a popular thing uh, these days, of one quote per day, and this was one quote per day of the Buddha's teachings. And I spent about uh, three months um, quite uh, slowly and uh, systematically going through the uh, suttas, that's the Pali word, or sutras, the Sanskrit word, that means the discourses, the talks uh, of the Buddha, and just with a pencil, uh, highlighting uh, particular quotes which I liked, and that actually ended up with around several hundred of them, and then uh, editing, editing down to about 365, and keeping um, uh, one day uh, of, of the uh, year, uh, which is uh, April 22nd, as a no quote on that day, a blank page. And uh, that day happens to be my birthday, but of course, purely coincidental. <laughs> so in the middle-length discourses of the Buddha, of which there are 150, the opening uh, uh, discourse, uh, I do feel has, uh, as with the others, a lot of uh, benefit and uh, insight and worth meditating, reflecting on. And what I would just like to do in exploring the theme of uh, the talk today with you is just touch upon uh, this uh, a little bit and, and then go shift from that to uh, experiences, to exploration and to uh, understanding with the theme. The, the Buddha points out that there are four kinds of uh, people uh, in this world. And one kind of person he speaks of as uh, uninstructed or uninformed. And then he refers to the uh, characteristic, shall we say, of such a person. And essentially what is being pointed to is such a person or such a, a mind and we have the, as he would call it, the ordinary, uh, everyday mind, keeps seeing the world in a particular way, keeps perceiving of it in a particular way, or conceiving of it, and keeps assuming this is how things really are. And it shows itself in four kinds of ways. One is that we constantly perceive of all this heart, mind, body, feelings, consciousness, perceptions, thoughts and memories. That this first kind of person conceives of himself, of herself, of ourselves, one aspect of this is seeing this is who I am. My feelings, my perceptions, thoughts, consciousness... I, this is who I am. That's one. The second 
which goes with it, of course, is separation. If this is who I am, then all which is out there, so to speak, away from this heart, mind, body, conscious, is not who I am. And therefore, there is separation. There is a, there is a division. There is a sense of self and other. This is ordinary, everyday mind in its way of looking and interpreting reality. The third aspect of this, he points out, is that we, as human beings, put a lot of priority on and value on what is mine, on mine. And that which we have, which we want, and which we like, and which we uh, uh, grasp onto, then, through our perception, through our way of conceiving and looking at life, this is mine. And this sense of this is mine, which we want to keep, the fourth is, gives us pleasure. So ordinary, this is the first discourse of the Buddha, ordinary human beings living in the, in the world who have to quote precisely, not fully understood the way things are, live day by day in the perception that this is who I am, that is not myself, what is mine, which I want, gives me pleasure, and this is the way of living. This is what reality is all about. And how easy it can be that there is an unquestioning conformity to these perceptions. Why? Because, to repeat, one has not fully understood the way things are. Incredible statement. Incredible questioning. Incredible shaking up of our whole way of looking at this world, that this is what's happened to us. So then, he speaks of another kind of human being, and this kind of human being has entered into a mode of questioning. This morning, Shaila was uh, giving instructions on uh, reflection, giving... Uh, Instructions on the bridging and the meeting of meditation, awareness, with reflection. And in the questioning that takes place, one is developing an understanding, we are developing an understanding, which includes within its embrace the questioning of this idea, this is who I am, what is out there I am separate from is not what I am, this whole construct that goes on of mine and believing that getting mind and maximizing of pleasure is the whole purpose of living what, what the reality is. So a questioning mode comes in, and that, as that questioning mode comes in, and possibly nourished with some insight, nourished with some doubt, some shift begins to take place, and perhaps in the shifts that are taking place, this old construct, 
these old mental formations, this old way of viewing and conceiving reality isn't quite as substantial as we thought it was, as perhaps we believed it to be years and years, for years and years. He then speaks of the third kind of person, and this kind of person has come to great realizations about this, and rather than, as it were, imposing on the mind a whole new set of beliefs or a whole new set of interpretations, has simply come to an understanding which has and is enabling one to see through these constructs. Not replacing it with a new set, not building up a new way of conceiving, but really understanding and really seeing and experiencing clearly that the old one is only a construct. It's only an interpretation. It's only the force of conditioning which is moving and pushing us along to see things in the world of I, my, getting what I want, and separation. Yet not to replace it with some new beliefs about what the world is. And so the third kind of person is one who is truly coming to fully understand this. And in coming to fully understand this, there is something significantly liberating about it. Liberating from the enclosure of feeling, this is me, restricted, small, narrow, confined, and a different kind of I that goes on with it, or a different kind of interpretation. As an example, sometimes, with the arising of the I, we say, I am here, and I am sitting here, the I in relationship to physical life. Sometimes the eye moves off the physical life and we say, oh, I am thinking about. So the eye goes to thinking. Or I am feeling. Or I am meditating. Or I am being, being mindful. And then sometimes the shift which goes on and the movement of the eye that uh, takes place can shift in another kind of way and one says, I am in the body. So two minutes ago, I was the body. I am sitting here. And then the eye shifts again. It says, I am in the body. And then the eye can shift again and have uh, an out-of-the-body experience. And then the body can feel to be in the eye. In other words, not easy to follow, I appreciate, but in other words, the perception and the eye world keeps changing. Keeps changing. I, I can say, I am the body. Next minute, I can be stepping back 
and then I will say, it's my body. I'll make a possession of it. I'll take ownership of it. Or I will say, I am a temporary tenant in the body till I get kicked out. <laughs> Sooner or later, and for most, preferably later. So the perception and the sense of I doesn't stay in one way or in one location. It can be with feelings, it can be with thoughts, it can be with states of mind, it can be with consciousness, it can be with awareness, it can be with body. And as the Buddha says, when it is one place, it's not with the other. And so the sense of I is, as it were, jumping backwards and forwards. Why? Because of conditions. Because of the variety of conditions which do this. Fourth kind of person is one who knows great freedom in life, knows, remember we had a lovely uh, inquiry yesterday evening, there is a knowing who knows great uh, uh, freedom in life and there is an enlightenment to an understanding and a knowledge and insight about what it is. There is a liberation of being and there is a knowledge and an understanding it's called enlightenment which goes with it. I could ask a question. I will ask a question. How do you know that you're not liberated and enlightened already? How would you know? Maybe, maybe what one is looking for or seeking for may have, dare I say it, happened already. But one blinked. (laughs) (laughs) If sometimes... We stop, and I'll uh, go back to uh, that in a moment. If sometimes we stop, and I've spoken about this uh, stopping, and had one person speaking about uh, uh, the, the stillness that naturally came in the inquiry. If sometimes we stop, and we are quite still in the moment, In the moment of stopping and being still, we're not having any demands on life. Very beautiful thing. To be still and not to want anything from life. I don't want anything from what I call myself, heart, mind, body, consciousness. In the moment, I don't want anything from myself. And also, and equally, I don't want anything anything at all from other. In my not wanting, either from myself or from other, the separation must drop away. The greatest reinforcement of separation is the wanting. 
So in the moments of not wanting, the separation begins to drop. And this dropping of the wanting from other around us or from within, within this separation of the, sorry, the dropping away of the wanting begins to intimate another sense. So we have some moments of stillness, a dropping away of the wanting, therefore a dropping away of feeling separate from. And there's a potential for us as human beings to sense things in a different way. Very different way. In our stopping, the world to the eyes, physical eyes, comes to us, still dependently arising, meaning there are sights, there's the sense door called the eyes, there's the consciousness, the meeting of the three allows for seeing, for sight to take place. And when we stop and we just see, and not wanting anything from just the seeing, how much are we awake to the fact of how extraordinary it is to see? Doesn't matter what. To see. To be a human being. To have consciousness moving to the eye door with the sight that comes so quickly, so naturally, so spontaneously, so rapidly, as the Buddha said, he couldn't think of a simile, it's so fast. To see. Just to see. It's an extraordinary thing. And the human being, as, uh, as human beings, how much are we aw- awake to sound? Where the ear is functioning, where the consciousness is arising, and a whole d- different sense to listen. To listen communication. To listen to the nature. To listen to, to the silence. Just to listen. Not wanting anything from that listening. Not wanting anything from those words, from those sounds in the nature, from the air conditioning, from what's around. or just. And it's so distinctly different from the sight. It's in such another sense, so different. And similarly with with, 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 with smells and, and with tastes and with all the ways of touch, all the different sensations when the hand just touches, when the hand, as my old teacher says, just to move Ajahn Damodaro in the monastery, just move the hand through the air. Feel the extraordinariness of the sensations, the vibrations, the Movement of life. Extraordinary thing to feel. And here we are, it's an extraordinary situation that in our moments of stillness, in our moments of non-separation, we can experience 
just the seeing, just the hearing, just the smelling, just the tasting, just the touching. And each sense is quite different. Each sense really can't be compared with the other. And one wonders, as a human being, how extraordinary it is to live and not be wanting and to be awake. And that the fullness of things is revealing itself phenomenally through these extraordinary and remarkable instruments called our senses. It's as though we want and we're completely forgetful that life has given us too much already. Life has made itself available to all of us in such a breathtaking and extraordinary way. And somehow we've got ourselves into the confusion and into the uh, delusion that what's free and available already is not enough or is not good enough. Not good enough to see, not good enough to listen to the sound of voices or to hear the silence, not good enough. What distortion has gone on for us? What misperception? What is this incredible belief in separation and therefore the gap and therefore I want? How could we have got ourselves to think and believe that way? Such a collective, mutual self-deception. So has this experience of enlightenment and liberation happened already? (laughs) We've touched a little bit in the talks on time. And sometimes, whether one's rather new to Dharma practice, plenty of years of exposure uh, to it, we may be possibly overlooking the significance of what may have happened already. And what I mean by that is, what would it be to turn our attention to what some in here might consider as the most profound experience of one's life. And sometimes we'll dig a little uh, deeper, slowly or quickly, and we'll say to ourselves or to each other, I remember when. And then there is some recollection, a very important time or moments in our experience. May have generated for us, in the moments, some kind of shift. 
and we've appreciated that. We have felt the importance of it. We perhaps have felt we've come out of the separateness, come out of the obsessing self. Perhaps we felt that our heart or our eyes or our mind was opened uh, in that time. And there will be some, some of you in the hall, will, who will be able to recollect this. Recollect extraordinarily important times and moments in your life. And some, it will, for some, that recollection will be very, very specific. Very, very specific in terms of hour, day, moment, time. To take uh, uh, the Buddha as an example, time, time to time, not too often, would make uh, references to the full moon day on his 35th birthday when realized what liberation was all about and then the subsequent uh, uh, enlightenment to its significance that followed in and through it over several weeks later, etc. So for some, there's moments of experience which could be brought down, so to speak, to a very particular event in one's life. Or sometimes it's not a specific event, but one may say, I remember when, and and that could be from several minutes, one minute, to several days or a particular period of one's life. And that transformative event that uh, took place as it were, opened up one's life and the real shift occurred. The, qu- the quality of the feeling factor for some may have been very, very strong. That one is, was kind of, we were kind of, let's say, shaken out of our conventional world, our conventional constructions. Something very strong happened to us, it could have been in meditation, it could have been spontaneously, it could have been in communication with somebody, it could have been in the nature, it could have been uh, reading uh, a book, it could have been in solitude, it could have been with others, it could have been on the street, indoors, etc., etc. But something very significant happened, it had a strong impact upon us, it shifted something inside uh, of us, And one actually felt in the experience of there was a change from what was to this and what came after. It had a real effect, a real impact on on our life. And some, and some in the hall here will know, there of those kind of turning points, may not be one, maybe several of them, which have occurred in our life. And one of the aspects of those turning points in our life life is we appreciate it, we're grateful that it happened, that it was freeing us uh, up and it helped to put the flow of our life, not necessarily easily, but it helped to put the flow of our life in a direction which feels and continues to feel despite the difficulties, 
genuinely worthwhile. And as I say, that can happen in a split moment and that can happen in a general week-long retreat, shall we say. It can happen anywhere, uh, any time. And sometimes the trigger and the spark for such a shift is not necessarily that it's welcome. Not necessarily, oh, I meditated in order to achieve this kind of shift inside. Sometimes we wake up simply because of something which is difficult which has happened. Something which has kind of, as it were, um, pushed itself in our face, so to speak, whatever that might be, and has shaken up every drop in our whole being. And it was the last thing that one wanted, the last thing that we would wanted to have happened to us, it struck us significantly and the consequence of, of it is it is some way or other it has woke us up. And the ripples, the beneficial ripples in our life still continue. Just from one event or a number of them still flow on. In that, there is, and uh, one of the um, good people in the small group today used a lovely uh, term, referred to an intuitive sense. Very lovely term, an intuitive sense. And what I mean by that is, there is this sense called eye, and through ears, eye, seeing, senses, uh, through hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. They're all senses. They're all quite, as I said, distinct from each other, yet clearly and obviously all interrelated, all grounded with the body, all a feature of human life, etc. Could it be that these kinds of experiences which arise, which I just referred to, start to reveal some other intuitive sense, some other sense which is as important and as significant and as revealing as seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting and touching. Some other sense about things. The Buddha. I haven't forgot my question for you. I'll you know, Christopher style, he wanders off into the sunset and then comes back later. <laughs> the Buddha, rather uniquely in the body of teachings, has refer- referred and given the same kind of relationship to states of mind as to anything else. This takes a little uh, following here. I would say, oh, there, there are the sights out there. There are different sights, sights of people, sights of the Dharma Hall. There are the sounds which are coming, my voice, I can hear sounds over here, etc. Smells, tastes, touch. They're all objects. The Buddha, as I said, rather uniquely, but with great 
significance for this, has said there really are six senses. And just as there are sights, sounds, smells, tastes and touch, touch the bowl or whatever, states of mind are another sense. They are another object. So just as naturally I, naturally I say, oh, that, those sights out there, that's not me. Those sounds are not me. Those smells are not me. Those tastes are not me. The touch is not me. The other object of interest, great interest, is called the state of mind. In fact, the state of mind is often of far more interest than the other five senses. We're obsessed with it. <laughs> Preoccupied with the object called a state of mind. The object called uh, emotions arising. Object called a whole stream of thinking. Object called a whole attitude. And as a human being, I can be as clear about this sense object, the sixth sense, state of mind, <clears throat> as I can be about any sight or sound, because it's an object. I can look at it. I can talk about it. I can describe it. I can say what's going on. In precisely the same way, I can, with sights and sounds and smells and tastes and touch. So the state of mind is an object. Shallow, superficial, fantastic, miserable, depressing, unhappy, illuminating or whatever. The state of mind is an object which I have a whole repertoire of words and language to talk about as I do with anything else. That which is an object of one's awareness is not who I am. Why should we give? Why should the I, the self, give special relationship to the state of mind as me, since it's an object, when I wouldn't do it? What's out there? I don't say, oh, it's all me out there. very thought of it as a nightmare. <laughs> Apologies. So there's the arising, dependently arising of the state of mind. If this is not who I am, nor sight, sound, smells, taste and touch, could it possibly be? Enlighten liberation enlightenment, to repeat the question, has actually happened. Some will listen and say, oh, God, help us. We'll say, well, firstly, some will say, I've never had a profound experience in my t entire life. <laughs> I've read all these mystical books. <laughs> and uh, I've listened to the tapes. I've played New Age music. <laughs> Gone for a walk in the hills. I once fasted for six hours. 
<laughs> and so far, nothing has happened. Etc. Et I'll look at that in a minute. <laughs> In the teachings of the Buddha, there is tremendous exploration of freedom of being as the sweetest expression of life. And for some, that kind of accompaniment that goes with it, which is called enlightenment, an understanding not intellectual, but a heart understanding, a deep understanding, a clear understanding about the way things are. There are some, and sometimes we have the privilege of this, of meeting people, men and women in this world, who we look to her or him, and we genuinely appreciate and genuinely love and acknowledge their natural way of being in this world and a natural sense of freedom of the spirit a natural sense of openness and expansiveness and, and living life rather wisely and rather clearly and rather beautifully and we just sense the natural freedom of this human being whoever he or, or she or, or they, they may be and if you and I were to ask him or her, how come you're like that? How come you're just naturally happy or free-spirited or, or undemanding on life and not caught up in all this separateness and ego, tip, ego activity and, uh, and conflict and turmoil? And sometimes there are women and men that you and I meet who have a genuinely natural freedom, truly in accordance with the teachings of the Buddha, truly in harmony with the real essence of what the teachings are about, and yet wouldn't be able to explain it. Wouldn't be, would, would hear words like, oh, let go, everything's impermanent, mindfulness, <laughs> clinging... And simply wouldn't have a clue what we were talking about. <laughs> it's as, as though one's got to have a whole kind of uh, knowledge of language to go with the freedom of being. No, no, there's no message of that in the Dharma, no message of that in, in, in the teachings. That sometimes, that understanding that freedom of being uh, is, is there, that there's no way that the person can give any kind of explanation. There's no way he or she can tell us what we need to do to realize this, or more precisely, what we don't need to do to uh, rea uh, realize this. They, do, they wouldn't, wouldn't be able to. Yet we sense it. Yet we can pick it up. And as the Buddha said, with such a person such a knowing. You need to be some connection with that person for periods of time. You need to associate with that person. 
need to learn in a different way from that kind of person who's not articulating it, but they're communicating it. And it's a joy and a delight to be around such people who are genuinely undemanding of us and undemanding of this world. And they have natural wisdom, natural dharma, natural freedom. And it's a privilege and honour for any of us to have that kind of association with such people. Sometimes, as I say, there are people who have this natural freedom, natural uh, uh, liberation, who can't give any explanation of why it is present and why he or she is like they are. And there are some who, with, the, with that experience, have, and this rather beautiful term of the Buddha, has squeezed the honey out of it. Squeezed the honey out of it. Lovely term of the Buddha. And what's meant by that, some, and some of you in the hall, will have experienced deep and important experiences in life in different environments. But is it possible that the understanding, the fullness of the understanding of the experience simply hasn't been drawn out. And what can happen with some meditators and some people in Dharma practice, for some, the language of impermanence, which is only a tool, actually works against one. Because some people will have an important experience and then the old vipassana mind then comes in and says, oh, well, just another experience. Experiences just come and go. Uh, nothing worth uh, reflecting on. Uh, everything's passing. It's all, all changing and good night. <laughs> and it would be an enormous pity if moments that we are touched with life in a deep non-separateness way and, and the knowing of that short as it might be if we dismissed it in that way rather than using the wonderful capacities that we have as a human being to reflect it's a beautiful thing and to reflect and to ask and to investigate in all of this what's in, enlightening about this? What's the revelation here? What's this experience telling me? What am I waking up to? What is this showing to me? And that kind of interest, that kind of attention too, starts to bring together what liberation is all about and what an enlightened life is all about. And I think it's a great pity, and it does happen, and I uh, hear it often enough, where people have had, on retreats, prior to retreats, or wherever, beautiful and important experiences which have touched us, which we may have a language for. We may use Dharma language, we may use uh, 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 the language of God, We may uh, not bring any language in uh, at all or or whatsoever. And it would be a pity if to be touched with life, with these experiences, 
and not really bring the, the, the fullness out, the full sweetness uh, of it, and how important it can be for the whole direction of our life. We've kind of overlooked the significance of it. And what happens when we have overlooked the significance of a deep and important experience? The mind will know that. It will know it. And what tends to happen when we know we've had an important experience, we want to get back to the experience. We say to ourselves and we say to each other, I just want to have that experience again. I just want to taste that again. I want to be touched by that again. I want to be exposed to that again. It was so important. And so then our meditations and even some of the priorities of our life, of our lifestyle, can be a kind of continuity of the effort in various ways to get back to that experience. I think it's the mind's way of telling us, firstly, it was an important experience, of course, absolutely. But secondly, it's also telling us we haven't drawn the wisdom out of it. We haven't got the fullness out of it. We haven't got enough insight out, out, out of it. And what I'm saying is, it's not the experience itself. It's not the quality of the feelings or the quality of the, let's say, heart opening or the change of consciousness or the sudden awareness or the uh, impact of an opening. That, that's not the important thing. The, imp the important thing is what's to be understood about it. And if we've really, whether it's recent present or long distance present, I'm talking 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago, it doesn't matter. If we've re really what else was this revealing? What else was being discovered? If the sweetness of it is truly drawn out of us, then we'll know that and we won't and it will end the desire, it will end the wish to go back to it. Because we know it's complete. And the mind's wish to get back to a profound experience is because in some way or other it's not complete. In some way or other, we haven't really understood the significance of it all. Whether it's yesterday or decades ago. The Buddha. For the last um, 30 years, every January, I've been going to Budgaya. Bodh is enlightenment, Gaya. The village of Gaya of enlightenment and have the uh, privilege in giving uh, uh, teachings in, in the village. And uh, in the, what I sometimes call now the good old days, which is like 20 or 30 years ago when it was a very small village and there were no hotels and <laughs> no pollution, and et cetera. One could breathe in and out without coughing, etc. The grounds of the Bodhi tree were very uh, easy to get into and accessible. And first time that I was there, I was a, a monk at that time, and would uh, spend some nights uh, sitting under the Bodhi tree, you know, kind of hoping something might rub off. And uh, 
etc. And it was very, very lovely, uh, still is in many respects, lovely, quiet village to, to be in. And of course, as with many things uh, in life, when you and I have had uh, direct contact, let's say, with a place, uh, with certain people or whatever, that contact for us uh, is so much more kind of authentic and, and genuine than just reading about. You, know, you and I could read a book about going to the Himalayas to walk in the Himalayas. It's a whole different board game. You know what I mean, don't you? So rather similarly in Budgaya. And so the outcome of, of that is in the reading of the, the suttas there and the uh, uh, accounts that took place. There was this night of a, uh, awakening and really r- realizing that what human beings are concerned with in some way or other is the utter resolution of suffering. And yet we do all sorts of things which actually increase, intensify and sustain it because we haven't understood the way to, to end it, we haven't understood what it is to live the passion of life and the joy of life and the liberation uh, of life because of our distorted, distortions in our perceptions, in our thoughts, in our uh, wantings, etc. And then it is said, as I said, that for the next uh, seven weeks of uh, following the uh, night of uh, realization, there was seven weeks of reflecting on that experience, giving himself the time to absorb that experience, to let the truth of what he'd realized really sink well into him, really and, and, and to really understand. And and that took all that period of time. And sometimes it's rather similar with us. We can have important experiences uh, in, in our life, but they need some kind of maturing to take place. They need us to say, oh, this is important. Let, let, let me just be with this. Let me feel this one through. Let me reflect on this. Let me dig out the, what the deeper understanding and the deeper insights that are coming. And it would be a terrible pity in our life if we kind of, rapidly just took it as some other experience or had a little insight and understanding and then rather rushed in uh, with our life and rather got on with it. And maybe our understanding, our liberation and our uh, insights and realizations actually, as I said earlier, have already happened. We've forgotten. Have already happened. But we didn't, didn't squeeze the honey out. So we're still looking for it. Or trying to get back to the experience itself, rather than the important thing is our enlightenment about what that experience means. It's a path of liberation and enlightenment. So this is a kind of, to conclude here, a kind of bridge, we might say. Some will say, I've never had any, as I said earlier, any such experience that even remotely sounds anywhere near anything you might have said in this last 45 minutes. (laughs) Thank you, Christopher. (laughs) I would have two responses. 
One is, God, where have you been all your life? And no, that's a rather crude one. <laughs> but, but I mean it. <laughs> and one, I would ask, if not, if everything that was said this afternoon felt absolutely abstract, no sense of knowing any deep or profound experience in one's life in any way whatsoever, and the response is, I have nothing like this, then my question would be, why not? Why not? Why go through life without the sense of the deep and the profound and something out of that loop which the Buddha so extraordinarily described as I referred to at the beginning of the talk. I am here, that is there, this is uh, separation, and um, having things for myself that I want is what it's all about. If that's our perceptions of life, if that's our only experience of, of, of life, then the question then arises to oneself. What am I going to do to change that? Do I want to live, as the Buddha said, like in that world, in that way, without fully understanding things, as he said, do I want to live like a chicken in its shell? Because that's what it's about. Or do I want to crack the shell, to come out of the shell, and that first kind of person, and remember, I'm, I'm... Our mind states get caught in it, clearly. That first kind of person is life in the shell. So sometimes we have some tough and strong questions to be asking asking ourselves, both our relationship to profound experiences, our relationship to being enlightened about the significance of them, and our uh, uh, relationship to our Genuine honesty, which is always a profound thing, which says, I've never had any of these experiences, therefore I'm going to ask myself why I haven't. Why not? What stopped it? What am I doing that's not giving any opportunity for something really deep to come through and therefore I'm living in the, living in the shell? May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings live a free and enlightened life. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes. Yeah.